All right. Thank you, Travis. The board has been working tirelessly in lots of ways uh, this fall. And so thank you so much for everything that you have been doing. Uh, as was mentioned earlier, my name is Brendan, one of the pastors on staff. Always a joy to open God's Word with you this morning. And I love Christmas. So got some Christmassy messaging, get some smiles going. But before that, I want, us bring, I want to bring us back to the year 2000, a great era of movies. Movie superstar Sandra Bullock starred in the hit film Miss Congeniality. She played Gracie Liu, a tomboy, snort when she laughed, no-nonsense FBI agent. And in the film, FBI intelligence learned that there was a bomb threat to the Miss America beauty pageant. Just all sorts of drama. Gracie suggested they plant an undercover agent on the inside as a contestant to figure out what the threat was and to nullify it. Her bosses thought this was a brilliant idea, but no suitable Miss America FBI agent was found other than her. So in classic comedic fashion, they transform Gracie into a beautiful model and they attempt to teach her proper mannerisms and how to walk in high heels. Her personality was rather rough, particularly in the beauty pageant realm. In one of the scenes, the host of the pageant is interviewing each contestant and one by one he asks them, what is the one most important thing that our society needs? And one by one, the beauty pageant contestants answer without thinking, world peace, until we get to Gracie. And her answer, that would be harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. <laughs> Everyone is shocked and silenced. Gracie realizes her horrible blunder and she adds, oh, and world peace. And the applause thundered. If I asked us this question, what is the one th most important thing our society needs, we could come up with a thousand different answers and we could talk about this for a long, long time. And the need for peace, particularly peace between nations and people groups has always been there. But the problem is, Peace needs to be under the terms of each people groups. Different tribes and groups and nations have different ideas of what this might look like. And when another group threatens that idea, it's off to war or conflict again. And that doesn't even include humanity's insatiable desire for more. More power, more control, more resources, more money, more fame, more, more, more. And the more we want the more conflict results. It's a cycle that continues to this day. And the more that we lean in, we have a 24-7 news cycle that can really steal our peace. And the more we lean in, the more we focus on evil and terror, the darker things seem to become. But for the Christian, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And as his followers, we're to be people of peace, shining love and peace and joy wherever we can. And Christmas is such a brilliant reminder of this, a brilliant time of the year. Christmas lights not only dazzle our streets and our homes, but they symbolize the story of Christmas and the promise that Jesus' light will bring a new kind of peace. Our Advent passage is from Isaiah 9, and I want to read verses 6 and 7, but from the message, so you can follow along on the, stream, on the screen. It says, For a child has been born for us, the gift of a son for us, 
He'll take over the running of the world. His names will be Amazing Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness, or as we know it, Prince of Peace. His ruling authority will grow. There'll be no limits to the wholeness or the peace that he brings. He'll rule from the historic David throne over that promised kingdom. He'll put that kingdom on a firm footing and keep it going. With fair dealing and right living, beginning now and lasting always, the zeal of God of the angel armies will do all this. The peace we need needs to come from outside of this world. It needs to come from God himself. Jesus, who's prophesied in this passage to be the Prince of Peace, entered earth. And he entered at an interesting time in Roman history. Why? Just a few decades before Jesus' birth, there was a new kind of world peace. At least a new kind of Roman world peace. Luke 2 gives us the background, and Luke contrasts two different kinds of peace for us. The peace of Caesar and the peace of Jesus. So just a few verses. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, verse 3, and everyone went to their own town to register. Before Jesus' birth, Caesar Augustus had defeated two other rivals, and he had brought the vast empire of Rome together with peace and stability. It was called the Pax Romana, Romana, or Roman Peace, You could travel throughout the Roman Empire with ease and relative safety, and it was a period of trading and prosperity as well. Augustus was also the first Roman emperor to be thought of as a god. Augustus means holy. He was the holy king, and he was also called savior of the world who brought peace. But how did Caesar bring peace? By military domination. And how did he keep that peace once in power? By fear and threat and heavy taxes, which is what the census was about. How can we tax everyone and gather them all so we can keep them in peace? This is the kind of peace we humans tend to default to. Those with power police the masses. And I even use this kind of tactic in my parenting. If you don't behave, you're not getting dessert. Right? On the rare occasion that kind of threat works, is the peace genuine? Of course not. Threat and force won't create the kind of peace that is genuine or long-lasting. So how do you create a better peace? How do you create a genuine desire for it? Caesar used power. But what about Jesus, who was also called Savior, Holy God, Prince of Peace? Begins very differently. He's born to a humble young couple in a small town, in a room where animals are kept and laid in a manger. No golden jewel-encrusted crib for him. In Jesus, the mighty God lays his power down, takes on the form of an infant in order to come and save his people. Jesus' offer of peace came not by military victory, but by offering his life as a sacrifice in place of ours. Jesus' peace is offered. It's not forced. It is a gift. It is grace, an undeserved favor that can be accepted by anyone who's bold enough to realize how much they need a savior and forgiveness of sin and to be reconciled, to be in a right relationship with God. 
And to illustrate this, we have a testimony from Masa, one in our congregation. So if you can turn your attention to the screen, we should have a quick testimony. Let's talk about... Let's talk about peace. There are wars and conflicts happening all around the world. We all want peace, but how do we get it? Are we relying on governments to negotiate solutions? Do we really believe their peace will last? Peace starts within each one of us. How do we find the peace? The answer is simple, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. Jesus said, peace I live with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled and don't be afraid. I'm happy to say that as a believer in the Lord Jesus, I experience this peace every day of my life. Before coming to Canada, we know some Christians. We saw they behaved differently. They had a kind of peace about them. Even though we were living in a time of great political conflict, I wanted this peace. My family came to Canada one year ago. During the complicated process of immigration, my feeling of confusion increased. But then I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. The more my family in him grew, the more my peace increased and all my fears and worries decreased. If God loves me so much that he would allow his only son to die for me, then I know for sure that I can trust in his promise of peace, no matter what happens around me. The Lord Jesus reigns in my heart. My whole life is under the control of Jesus. Therefore, I have no reason to be worried anymore. Isaiah 26.3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is steadfast because they trust in you. Amazing story of how the salvation of Jesus leads to peace despite difficulty. In Luke chapter 1, verse 79, Zechariah prophesied this, that Jesus would guide our feet into the path of peace, that peace would be a way of life for his followers. In Luke 2, the angels announced to the shepherds at Jesus' birth, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace, to those on whom his favor rests. Colossians 3:15 Paul is encouraging the Christians he says, "Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful." So as the peace can rule in our heart internally, that allows us to have peace with our neighbor. Romans 5:1 says, "Therefore, since we have been justified, Justified is a legal or courtroom metaphor that we are declared not guilty. So since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. This is good news. Now, I believe all of this to be true. Jesus forgives our sin. He gives us peace with God. But if I'm honest... I certainly don't always feel at peace. 
Certainly not as often as I'd like. There are many things that are out of my control. In my very home, peace is often elusive, let alone out there in the world. If Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he's won a victory over the darkness, why is there still so much evil and lack of peace? I'm going to suggest two things. First off, we're human. We live in a broken world. None of us is perfect, and I'm pretty certain that no one has ever experienced peace and joy 100% of the time. So I do want to say, if you are struggling this Christmas, in a season when we're supposed to be joyful and happy, go easy on yourself. But don't take your eye off the Prince of Peace either. And that means when things aren't going well, we can bring that in honesty to Jesus in prayer. Don't be afraid. He's not afraid of our pain and heartache. I think it's important to do that. Speak, speak boldly with Jesus about your lack of peace. He is the wonderful counselor after all. Let's take it to him. Secondly, Jesus' victory is secure. But his enemy, our enemy, the devil, still roams the earth. Last week, Bronwyn contrasted the everlasting father with the ever-lying father. The Bible has more names for the devil, other than the father of lies. Jesus calls him the prince of this world. By world, he means those, are that are those in open opposition and rebellion against God. The apostle Paul similarly called him the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work among those who are disobedient. In Ephesians 6, Paul also says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's a lot of against language. There's sinister forces in this world that are opposed to God and everything that is good. They're hell-bent on our destruction. Or in other words, Satan wants to steal your peace. There's another part, or maybe better, another angle on the Christmas story that we usually don't give a whole lot of airtime. It's found in Revelation chapter 12. You can turn there if you like. I'm going to read a section of it, but before I do, I think it's important to be reminded that Revelation uses highly symbolic imagery. Each symbol has depths of meaning behind it. So, I'm going to read the first six verses of Revelation 12. It says this. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head, all symbols of power. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. Stars in Revelation, a symbol for angels. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God in his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared by God for her, where she might be taken care of for a time. There's two main interpretations here about the woman and the child. First, and a more literal translation, it can represent Mary and the birth of Jesus. The dragon representing King Herod, who tried to kill Jesus. The second interpretation takes Jesus and the child to represent the church, 
people who are faithful to Jesus. And either way, the devil is attempting to put a stop to the good work of Jesus and his followers on earth. The passage goes on to explain that the dragon was defeated by the angels in heaven, and he lost his place, and he was hurled down to earth with his angels. In verse 13, when the dragon saw he had been hurled to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. And when the woman, or the faithful people, got away, verse 17 tells us, the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. I believe this passage and the ones I read earlier from the book of Ephesians give us a pretty clear picture of why peace is lacking in this world. The devil, the father of lies, the prince of this world hates peace. He hates humanity. He hates the love of God and he has declared war. The devil is doing everything in his power to turn humanity away from God and against one another. If you have watched the movie Wonder Woman, there's a scene at the end of the movie that I think portrays this powerfully. The devil-like character is Ares, the god of war, who had claimed to be attempting to make humanity wipe one another out throughout human history. He says this. He says, all these years I have struggled whispering into their ears ideas, inspiration for formulas, weapons, but I don't make them use them. They start these wars all on their own. I hope that they would destroy themselves. When I first watched this movie, this struck, the devil uses similar deception-like tactics to get humanity to destroy each other. And one of the things I thought insightful about this quote, it doesn't say, the devil made me do it. It says, there is a sinister lie or idea planted by the evil one, which was all a sinful human race needed to carry out great atrocities. They're dark forces behind humanity's cycle of revenge and escalating violence, bringing chaos, not peace. I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus' death on the cross brought such a decisive victory over evil. Jesus didn't escalate. He never retaliated or uses violence. He didn't use force or threats or fight back. He submitted and allowed evil to do its worst to him. And even in Jesus' death, he prayed that God would forgive those who killed him. Why? They didn't know what they were doing. They were listening to the father of lies. But death couldn't hold Jesus. Through death, Jesus disarmed the power of the enemy, came back to life, proving his victory over death and evil. The devil is powerful, but he's not that powerful. He's defeated. He is on a leash Jesus is victorious. Satan's time is short. Jesus's is eternal. Amen? Amen. Jesus tells his disciples these, these three things in the discourse in the upper room in the final chapters of John. He says, he says, the prince of this world will be driven out, number one. He says, the prince of this world is coming, but he has no hold over me. And thirdly, he says, the prince of this world now stands condemned. Jesus' followers don't need to fear the evil one. Jesus has overcome, and in Jesus' name, we have spiritual authority, which should allow us to have peace. In the same conversation with, with the disciples, on the night of Jesus' betrayal, he's telling them of the struggles to come, but he ends with this. 
He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is what was said in our video testimony earlier, that in Christ we can have peace even when there's difficulty. Why? Because in the end, Jesus will make everything right for the faithful. We have a future hope. Of this verse, theologian N.T. writes, as this, this word is one of good cheer. Somehow, even in the worst that is to come, the disciples can have peace that will carry them through. It's a matter of standing on the ground that Jesus is going to win. Indeed, there are claims that he has won already. In the same conversation, Jesus also said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus' peace is a gift. It's a gift that assures his disciples of his presence and his support. Remember earlier on I said, we needed a peace that comes from outside our world. Here Jesus says, my peace isn't like the peace of the world. It's bigger, it's fuller, and it's powerful enough to carry us from this life to the next. And just to clarify what the Bible means by peace. Peace is more than simply the end of war and hostility. It is that, but it's bigger than that. It's more holistic than that. In short, the biblical vision for peace is overall well-being with God, with self, and others, and creation. Jesus' vision for humanity is for our wholeness, which begs the question, how do we get more of this peace? My wife and I were laughing a couple weeks ago when I told her that I was preaching on the Prince of Peace because there's just not a lot of peace in our house these days. Living with three boys doesn't tend to lead to a lot of peace. Not in my experience anyway, certainly not recently, but it will increase. And we have some amazing moments that I wouldn't trade for the world. There also hasn't been the kind of peace in our church that we normally hope for. It's been a tough fall with disappointment, hard moments, and frustrations. Life isn't perfect. It's not going to be. But the first thing we can do is what the Apostle Paul tells us to do in Ephesians 6 with the armor of God, but specifically to put on the helmet of salvation. I think this is a powerful metaphor. Meaning we need to protect our minds with the truth of Jesus at all costs. When one of my sons was younger, he refused to wear a full face for mountain biking. We had bought him one, but he would only wear a normal helmet. And then he started to get pretty good. He started to get a little bit of air on jumps at the bike track. And then one day, he caught a little bit too much air and he crashed hard, hitting his face on the ground. His first concussion. <laughs> Not a great moment. And after that incident, I haven't been able to convince him to wear a half-shell normal helmet, even if it's really hot and we're just riding around on the road. He wants the full protection that a full face gives, and we need that too. We need to guard our minds against the lies that speak against the peace we have with God. We need to remember that Jesus has removed our sin, and we have a new identity as the beloved children of God. And as churchy and simple as this answer is, we need to read our Bibles, we need to pray, and we need to memorize Scripture so that we can lock this truth in our minds. Otherwise, we won't be fully protected. 
Every day we're bombarded with lies about God, who he is or who he isn't, who we are, what the good life consists of, what we need to buy to be happy, and on and on the lies come in. But if we put on the helmet of salvation, we will not be easily moved and we will have greater control over our thoughts and actions and a greater internal peace. I don't plan to crash when I bike, but crashes come, so we need to be prepared. Keep that helmet on. Finally, how do we get more of Jesus' peace? Have realistic expectations. Pastor Stephen Furtick said this, I thought it was profound. He says, it's impossible to experience peace when you experience perfection. Impossible to experience peace when you expect perfection. Now, we all have expectations of varying degrees. So did the Jews 2,000 years ago. They were waiting for a new king, but Jesus didn't tick any of their boxes. He didn't come in their idea of perfection or power. He came in pampers. He came from what seemed like a dodgy, unwed relationship. And maybe that would have been okay if he had grown up to conquer the Romans, but he didn't. He came to deal with sin and with Satan. And when sin is still a reality in our world, which it clearly is, the expectation of perfection will rob us of peace. If my wife expects a perfect husband, oh man, I'm going to let her down in so many ways. If I expect my four-year-old not to throw tantrums, I'm going to be frustrated and angry often. If we expect to pass our finals without studying, there's always next semester. If we expect every person to walk into this church to have it all together or be on fire for Jesus, we're going to be discouraged. If we expect inflation to reverse, we'll be wasting our breath. If we expect the Canucks to win the cup, well, one can hope. If we expect the government to come through on all their promises, we can't experience peace when we expect perfection. Our peace can't come from people. Humanity isn't perfect and we're not inherently good. We have great potential for good, made in the image of God. But we have a tendency to create idols, to be selfish, and to chase after desires that don't lead to our human flourishing. Seeking peace from others, from a relationship, from a soulmate, will ultimately let us down. And likewise, seeking peace for money or the next great experience won't last. These things are temporal. They can be taken away. I remember riding the Whistler Bike Park one gorgeous day when I was 21. Peak physical fitness, peak skill, maybe the best I'd been. My buddy and I rode hard for eight hours in the best bike park on the planet. Pretty much a dream day. I had to drink a venti frappuccino so I could stay awake driving home. But I remember thinking on that drive, well, that's over now. Is this it? It was awesome, but it wasn't everything. One of the best days of my life didn't bring me a peace or contentment that my heart desired. And this doesn't mean that I no longer mountain bike or that it's not a good gift from God. It totally is. I do believe everyone needs an outdoor hobby that gives them life. It will help increase your peace and mental health for sure. But the peace we ultimately desire can only come from Jesus. It's the only peace that this world can't take away. It tried to. It killed him. 
They killed him, but he came back, and he keeps working through his people, even when nations try to stomp him and his people out. Jesus is here to stay, and he wants to offer you his peace, his wholeness, through the work of the Holy Spirit. So as we seek after many things this Christmas season, make some time for the Prince of Peace. He's the only one that can give you what you ultimately are looking for, and that's because he is the only one who is perfect. He's our gift from heaven. Let's receive him this Christmas and grow in our peace as we remain connected to him. I'm going to pray. The worship team can come on up. Prince of Peace, we thank you that you give us a peace that is otherworldly and can surpass understanding and even difficult circumstances. God, we pray for more peace in our lives. We pray for the peace that the forgiveness of sin brings. God, forgive us now. Flood our hearts with your peace. God, we also bring you to the areas of our life where we don't have peace. Jesus, help us in our struggles, in our pain, in our loss. And Jesus, help us let go of our need for perfection. May we put on the helmet of salvation that we know we're your dear children, loved, and that our names are written in heaven. Thank you for your peace, Lord Jesus. Amen.